Welcome to the Athlete Diaries. I'm your host, Guy Walker. On this podcast, I take you through the journeys and challenges of professional athletes, from resilience to mental health and life away from sport. Today we have Gronya Somerville, a star in a sport of badminton. Born and bred in Melbourne's northwest, Gronya's journey to the elite has come very quickly. From a young age, Gronya was representing her country and travelling around the world playing against the best. Everything hasn't been so smooth sailing lately, as she has been really unlucky not to be able to play at an Olympic Games. Four years ago, herself and her playing partner qualified, but unfortunately her playing partner wasn't able to play, forcing Gronya to miss as well. So then this year, the pandemic COVID-19 has pushed back the Olympics by at least a year. Throughout, Gronya has been positive and sees it as a chance to improve on and off the badminton court. She's also learned how to deal with the pressures that come along with badminton. It was also fascinating to hear how Gronya isn't so well known here in Australia, as badminton isn't a huge sport. But over in Asia, she is very popular, with a social media following of over 200,000. I'd just like to take this time to say to fellow Victorians that we are all in this together. I know it's cliche and you hear it all the time to make sure if you are flat to keep connecting with family and friends. And if you're not comfortable doing that, there's some amazing charities that are doing some incredible things during these times. It's okay to be flat with what's going on around us at the moment and it's okay to feel not great. Take some time for yourself and do things you love. There will be light soon. Gronya, thank you for uh, thank you for coming on the show. It's a it's a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. No worries. It's, um, I was just saying before, it's we went to school together, but we probably haven't seen each other since uh, since graduating, which is five or six years ago. It uh, fair to say you've done a few things since finishing school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lots of badminton since then. Lots of badminton in school as well. But yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I. I didn't actually know about you until I was like actually researching a little bit. It's funny when you go to school with someone for so long is that whole story of that you're a descendant of a Chinese emperor who was a massive, um, a massive deal in China, wasn't he? And then it went, when did you find that out and, um, and how was all of that? It was in like 2012 that it kind of got out in the like Chinese media, but like I, I've known since I was younger, like my mum had mentioned it and, like I was aware, but, but I didn't know it was such a huge thing until I was playing this tournament in China and they would, the, the the news was doing a little piece on me because I was the youngest player in the tournament and I had a Chinese coach at the time and they interviewed him on me as well and he just like mentioned it and then the next day I just had like all these interviews, there were people like sending me flowers and crazy stuff and I was just like, okay. I, I knew he was famous but I didn't think he was like this huge so it just blew up a little bit from then. Yeah, wow, that's that is pretty incredible to say that you're um that it's pretty much a pretty famous family, really, isn't it? So, um, how did you end up getting into badminton? How did how did it all start? Because I, I don't think I know that piece of your journey. How did it? It's not a normal sport to get into, especially in Australia. How was it that you ended up getting involved? It was just by chance, actually, through a talent identification program. So, the like Australian, yeah. I don't know, uh, government or sports commission. Um, just started this program trying to find the next Australian badminton player to play in the Olympics and that kind of thing. And at the time I was like 10 to 12 years old and that's just the age group they happened to be looking for. So my PE teacher gave me a flyer saying, come to these tryouts. You don't need any experience. You just need to be athletic this age, be a young girl, that kind of thing. And so I went to it and I did well in the tests. And at the end of the day we had a hit and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. I want to play this. And then they just cut us down gradually through like testing and training us up. And then we just got integrated into like the national junior squad and that kind of thing. 
Yeah, it's pretty cool because you were pretty good at a lot of other sports as well. Gronya is one of them annoying people that whatever she's done, she's whatever she, whatever she does, she's amazing at. So, was there any other sports that were um, that you played when you were younger? Yeah, I, I did a lot of sports. I did like tennis, gymnastics, circus, um, yeah. swimming, um, yeah, little athletics. But you're, you're one of those kids as well, aren't you? A freak at every no. sport. No, <laughs> yeah, definitely not. <laughs> um, can you take me through, like, you were 19 when you first represented Australia at a Commonwealth Games and in Scotland, travelling as quite a young person and, and playing in your first Commonwealth Games. What was, what was that like to be picked on that tour and, and, and starting to, to travel the world and experience different things and, and represent your country? Yeah, it was definitely a really eye-opening experience for me. It was my first, like, multi-sport event. And just the magnitude of that is so different from every other kind of Australian team I'd been in, just having like athletes from every sport in Australia and around the world in the village, like just surrounded by all these people who kind of share the same vision of like trying to be the best at the sport that they do. So yeah, it was, it was super amazing. And it was cause I was kind of like the backup doubles at that stage because I was younger and not as good as a stronger pair. And it really inspired me from there to take it more seriously and want to be that best pair and go there to like compete for a medal and not just go to participate. So it was a real like game changer for me, that one. Yeah, well, and then you fast forward four years later to the Gold Coast and um, you're playing off for a bronze medal. Then what sort of in that four year period, how much did you improve and um, what was that like sort of playing off for a bronze medal? Because like a lot of people, we don't understand what it's like to um, play at a Commonwealth game, uh, Commonwealth Games and yeah what, what was that like playing off the third? Um, yeah so since the previous Com Games I changed doubles partners so I got a new partner yeah. who was from Indonesia and she taught me a lot so I definitely improved heaps over that time um, we got a lot more like experience traveling and that kind of thing and then yeah we went into the Commonwealth Games actually as the first seed because there were some yeah. some other pairs had like changed partners and their rankings were a bit lower so we had a lot of pressure, like compared to the first Common Games, there was a lot of pressure on us and like we had big expectations from our coach and being the first seed. And so it was actually a really kind of stressful time. And by yep. the time it got to the bronze medal match, we found out my doubles partner had like a stress fracture in her shin and it was, Lord. yeah, we were just like, should we play? Like, and then, yeah, it, and then we lost it like 21-19, 21-19, super close. And it was like really heartbreaking time. <laughs> How did you deal? How did you deal with that sort of pressure? Because it is hard, isn't it, trying to perform when you are under so much pressure? How did you sort of find that, and um, have you sort of come out of that knowing how to deal with pressure um, better in the next time? Um, we definitely learn a lot from kind of the expectations that we had for ourselves, like how we added to that pressure, kind of, and that there's ways, yeah, you know, just thinking, oh, it's just another match kind of thing, or like you're in training, or like there'll be tournaments after this as well, like make, not making it such a big deal. But um, yeah. it's hard to like replicate that exact pressure. Like you're never, you're not, there's not many opportunities where you're going to be playing for a medal on your home soil in front of like all these fans. So yeah, it's hard to like get used to that pressure, but there's definitely mental tricks that we're trying to work on to hopefully deal with it better next time if that we get the chance again. Can you, can you let us in on any of them little mental tricks? Is there any um, sort of triggers in a game or something that you, you're trying to practice with your partner um, for the next time that that happens? Yeah, a, lot, a big thing we've been working on is just communication. Like sometimes, especially in those tricky situations, you kind of just go into your own mind and thinking about like what you need to do or 
um, yeah, like yourself. So a big thing for us is like communicating with each other and trying to like be more aware of each other's emotions or thoughts to like know if we need to pump someone up or like help them calm down if they're like overexcited. Um, and yeah, always coming back to like like refocusing at the start of each point regardless of how the previous one went, that kind of thing. Yeah, cool. Because it was a couple of years before that you were you two were the first ever Grand Prix um, title winners uh, in Canada, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, that was... That's, that's pretty cool. And then followed by the Dutch Open as well. So what was what was that like from going from 2014 to play with a different partner to two years later winning um, the first titles for Australia and sort of um, understanding each other, what you play like? And what was all that like, trying to almost trying to become one with each other and trying to know each other's strengths, weaknesses, um, getting along. And then it, it, it's been really successful so far. What do you sort of put that down to? Um, yeah, it's definitely a new experience, changing partners and that whole thing, especially like we travel so much together. So we're just kind of forced into like having to get to know each other really quickly, share a room all the time, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but on court, we, we really complemented each other well, like Usually in, in doubles, there's kind of a creative one and then like a consistent one. And so she, she, I was a consistent one, like hardworking kind of um, covering the court. And then she's like cre- the creative one that comes up in with like special tricks and like does some crazy stuff. So we complement each other well in that way. And then, uh, um, yeah, it was super encouraging to win that Dutch Open and um, Canada title as well, especially like we were quite young, quite new to the tour. Like we hadn't played a whole season together yet so it was yeah really encouraging for us when we did that yeah what's it like traveling so much because I, I didn't realize how much you guys traveled like you're literally in a different country every couple of months like obviously you're missing some what people don't understand is that you're probably missing some important things like people's birthdays and um, some important life experiences so what's that like traveling so much of the year how, how much of the year do you, do you travel for do you think first of all well, the Olympic qualification period is very different to other years. So because yeah. you're pretty much like it's, it's just like endless tournaments throughout the year pretty much. We don't really have like an off season. And then because the way that it works is that like it's based, your rankings based off your 10 best tournaments. So it's kind of like the more tournaments you play, the better chance you have of getting a result and getting higher ranking yeah. points. So, uh, yeah, everyone just plays a crazy amount of tournaments. So I think last year we played about 23, which is like, 23 weeks pretty much like every tournament is one week and so if you're on tour they'll be like like even last year some people did like eight in a row so it's literally just one week in each city and then going like to another country like you're just constantly traveling constantly new hotel room and it's hard to you know maintain your strength fit in gym sessions fit in training because you're just like always kind of in performance mode so yeah it's definitely a struggle and even when we started to go into this lockdown I was kind of just like oh like this is kind of nice. Like I need a break. I was about to go. I'd been away for like a, two or three weeks and then I had like four days back here and then I was about to go away for I think six to eight weeks for Europe and Asia tournaments. And now I was just like, oh, like this is nice. This is family. I can like rest my body, focus on my injuries and just kind of, yeah, reset a bit. Yeah, well, so when you say that you, you are traveling a lot, is it is it different cities in say in Asia or Europe or something or is it literally like – you're traveling one week in Asia, then you might be the next week in Europe, the next week in America. You just, what, what is the travel like? So like within each continent, they'll try and group a few, but yeah, it can be really crazy. So before, like the last trip we had planned, it was Portugal, like Lisbon, um, to England for Birmingham. 
And then from there, it was to Basel in Switzerland. From there, it was to uh, in France. We had one in Orleans. And then from there, it was to Singapore and Malaysia. So they kind of group them together, but then it goes like cross continents as well. Yeah. Because what is that like? Because people probably look at that and go, geez, how lucky are you to travel to so many different countries? But I guess that you're probably not, you're not really a tourist in them countries and you're not sort of having a couple of days to just go and look at um, some landmarks or whatever in them countries. What is it like? Do you love, do you love traveling or do you get at a time where you're like, I just want to be back with my family now? What's it like for you? Because I guess everyone's a bit different in that sense. Yeah, there's definitely ups and downs. I mean... Yeah. sometimes you'll go to an awesome city and you'll like be right in the middle of it and you'll get to see all this cool stuff and it's awesome or else you could just be in kind of a random city in the middle of nowhere like it's hard to find food and it's just not a fun time so it's hit and miss but um yeah we just try and make the best of it and yeah we always know that how grateful we are to kind of do this as a job as well but yeah, yeah it does get it does get tough and tiring and and it's not always fun sometimes you're just like in a hotel room and you just want to go home yeah no I can imagine that one thing that's always um made me curious about sports like badminton and um and some sports that aren't so um big in Australia but are massive in countries like Asia and Europe and that sort of stuff is how do how is there a federation or is there someone in Australia that almost pays players a wage or pays for their travel or how does all that work because it's just so foreign to myself and probably a lot of other people as well Mm. so like for the big countries that are kind of powerhouses in badminton like um china malaysia indonesia they're like i don't know swimming or you know basketball over here where they the players get a salary most of them stay in kind of dorms and just like live at the training center eat their like training twice a day kind of thing um, and then, yeah, in Australia, it's totally different. Like we get a little bit of funding for tournaments. Um, and then outside of that, it's either like self-funded through like our family or like some people well. working for training or, um, or our sponsors. So I've been pretty lucky to um, have Leaning as my sponsor. Yeah. Oh, that's so minor, but <laughs> this is their jacket. Yeah. <laughs> so they've supported me for a long time, um, which has been great. But, yeah, a lot of the smaller countries, it's not – you don't get that much support and it's yeah just kind of trying to do your best to support yourself yeah well that's so hard because imagine if you're trying to um trying to qualify for an olympics or something like that and you have to fund yourself for six months of the year to get to these tournaments it must be so difficult for some of these players to to try and even get to the tournaments to try to qualify um that sort of leads on to my next question is is social media now something for you where i think as athletes we always get spoken to us about um, personal brand and that sort of stuff. Have you have you had training that, or is that something you value and you've used to your benefit? Obviously, with with leaning, um, is that something that you've used really well to be sort of sponsored and, and and use that as a bit of a benefit for for yourself? Yeah, it's definitely something that's becoming more of like a focal point for athletes, um, and that like endorsements and sponsors aren't purely kind of looking at performance anymore. They're looking at like yeah do you have many followers and how good are you kind of advertising this product? So um, initially it was all just organic and I kind of just got followers when I was in the media a bit from like in China or Indonesia for a tournament or that kind of thing. But more recently I've tried to put more time into it and like get more regular content and like think about what people would want to see and that kind of thing because, yeah, there is a big value in in like growing it and um, doing it well in terms of, yeah, monetizing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, 
Yeah, it's something that I've, I, I was speaking to someone on this podcast, a runner the other day as well, and it's some athletes don't think they have value in, in putting the content out that they use, but it is really interesting for other people. And I think I was looking at your Instagram the other day and you've um, got some things there about um, almost uh, that you're almost vegan. Is it 90% or something like that now? Yeah, yeah, I eat predominantly vegan, but not yeah. strictly. So I don't know. I just chucked it. They just, when the newspaper asked me, they're like, what percentage? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I just made up a number. <laughs> you can't really have a percentage, right? But <laughs> yeah. Is there, is that become, it was that because of the game changes that you did change? Because I'm sure everyone watched that, or have you been a vegan for a long time now? Um, I started the end of like 2016. Um, one of my friends yeah. was vegan, yeah. and I was in Europe with her at the time um I, I was training in Denmark and then I took a weekend to go visit her in Switzerland and I was just like asking her a lot about it and trying to learn more and I was yeah. just like oh why not like if I can stop eating meat stop hurting animals help the planet like if, if it doesn't make a difference to my body and I can still train and everything then why not so yeah I came back and um saw a dietitian and got like a eating yeah. plan and all that sorted and yeah and then since then I've seen the game changes yeah and showed it yeah. for a lot of people <laughs> I'm, I think I think everyone has it. My friends as well. <laughs> it's hilarious, isn't it? We had we had a, um, an incident at in the cricket and football clubs where they, they reckon that half the players after that documentary became vegan, and all the nutritionists had to send emails out to say, "Hold on, boys, there's actually a couple of myths here that um, that aren't actually true." So right, yeah. that's that's one thing that interests me about um, vegans is that. Um, some people, like I asked, there's a, a runner, a really predominant runner, um, an ultra marathon runner, and he's a vegan, and he says that it really helps with his um, recovery. Um, he sleeps a hell of a lot better. Have you noticed things like that, or have you just sort of been like, you've noticed that you don't really feel different from eating meat, or is there some real um, beneficial things coming from from being vegan? For me, I never really noticed like a major change. I think I yeah. noticed that I made kind of better food choices because of being vegan. Like, I don't know, like I wouldn't get as much junk food just because there was kind of a different yeah. vegan option kind of thing. But, yeah, I never noticed anything, yeah, obvious in like I don't know people can get more tired or people can feel great. So I didn't really notice either. Okay. Well, I guess that's that, that's not a bad thing as well then, is it? Because then you're not, you're not feeling worse off or, or better <laughs> off either. But um you, you're starting to get right into your cooking as well and have you found it that you've been able to become more creative as well um with your meals um yeah I mean I haven't like I'm up and down in cooking because sometimes I'm just like oh like I can't be bothered I'm too tired <laughs> I just and I'll just like microwave uh, I use like microwave meals way too often it's pretty bad yeah. but then sometimes yeah I'm like oh I want to make something fancy enough like google a, a really good recipe and I'll make something or I have or my friend who um like initially helped me become vegan. She she's like an awesome cook, so we'll make like you know full on borex yep. or like awesome curries. That's yeah, it's really good. How does that go with your with your partner that you travel all the time? Is she vegan or not? Um, I think she's mo- like more pescatarian, but yeah, she starts yep. to eat less meat and stuff as well <laughs> once she travels. I was going to say it might be a bit <laughs> hard when you both go to a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Um, one thing that always pops up, I think, even from people that that sort of went to school with you as well, is that. Um, like in Australia, people don't understand how um, big badminton is in Asia and you sort of see on your Instagram um, how much engagement and, and how big a following you actually have got, gotten. When you do go to countries like Asia and Europe and you have a massive following and, and it, is, it is a lot bigger, 
and you're very well known there and then you come back to Australia. What's the difference um, between that? Um, I mean, I'm nothing huge over there either. It's more just like around the badminton tournaments, people will know me, but, you know, just yeah. walking the streets or that kind of thing. It's not like people are like, oh, yeah, or anything. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's different. I mean, it's nice to kind of, I guess it's nice to just be in those countries where they kind of just respect badminton more and they understand it and they're like, oh, like, yeah. These are kind of people, you know, that are professional athletes in this awesome sport kind of thing. And then you come back to Australia and people are like, badminton, what's that? Like, <laughs> it's just like a very different perception. But, I mean, in terms of me personally, uh, I don't really notice much difference. I mean, sometimes it can get a bit tiring if there's fans waiting, like always at your hotel lift and you're like, I just want to go yeah. out and come back in kind of thing. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, if, if it was to be like super famous, then I'd probably prefer it that way where it's not where you're living and having to do with every day and you can get a break from it. Yep, yep, definitely. Um, one thing that I, I, I felt very sorry for you for is that it, with Olympics, you've had some seriously, seriously bad luck so far. In the 2016 Olympics, um, your partner, she as she came over from Indonesia, she didn't get, she was ineligible to, so that essentially meant that you were ineligible as well, but you did qualify what was that what was that news like getting I, I imagine it would have been quite tough yeah I mean we knew going into it that it would be like touch and go if she would get it yeah. that like we were aware of that but yeah it was still pretty sad to know that like we could be there if we just got like one more sign off from badminton world federation because the Australian government like the Australian sports commission the international olympic committee had signed off and we just needed one more from uh bwf and they didn't do it so that was yeah a bit heartbreaking wow. But, um, yeah, with this one, it's, I mean, it's out of our hands, but maybe we're just not meant to play the Olympics. <laughs> I know, because you qualified for this in the dub- in pretty much in the women's doubles again, didn't you? You pretty much won every tournament you played lately. <laughs> um, no, we haven't won, like, every tournament, but um, we, we're in good standing, yeah. So we're pretty likely to qualify, so, yeah. Yeah, we are. What's that like again? Is that, has that just been a bit of a kick in the teeth again for you to go, I just want to play in an Olympics? couple of years ago I would have been there but unfortunately things didn't work out and now for the foreseen circumstances again that the Olympics is in going ahead this year what's that been like for you has it been like Jesus 2016 2020 it's a dream that I want to play the Olympics how have you taken that and how have you sort of has it mentally has it been quite frustrating for you and um what's it been like um I mean it hasn't hit me too hard like I don't try to yeah. think of it as a kind of be all end all thing I mean yeah it's just like anything in life that happens you kind of just have to roll with it and like there's no point kind of dwelling on all these could have been things you may as well just try and make the most of it and just yeah prepare the best for the next one I mean there's still other good things to look forward to other tournaments and I just love playing badminton so it's not I'm not gonna have major regrets in my whole life if I can't play this Olympics because of a random pandemic so (laughs) it'll be all right yeah, yeah that, that's a great way to look at it. Is there any time that you do travel and you're traveling for a lot of the time of the year and you're away from some great relationships that you have and with a long distance relationship as well? Is is there any times that you, you sort of, um, you do find it um, mentally challenging to, to keep traveling and, and being away from family and friends? And what do you do to, to sort of keep your well-being? And um, is it difficult when you're at, when you are traveling? Yeah, it's definitely, there's been ups and downs and the more I travel, like the better I get at it. Like um, there there was a time when I was in Europe for a long time and I wasn't keeping like that well in contact with people back home and I I got like really sad and lonely and that kind of thing. And then I was like, oh, I should just like talk to my friends more and talk to my family more so I feel less lonely. 
So, so I was like, yeah, I need to be more conscious of kind of keeping up those relationships for my mental health and just to keep those relationships. Um, and then other stuff, um, like sometimes I might get a bit bored of something. So I'll try, we'll try kind of come up with an activity to do. Um, we went to like Universal, uh, was it? Yeah, Universal Studios in LA. And that was like one of the best days ever. Oh, nice. So that was super fun. Just yeah, trying to do yeah. things to like mix it up and like, yeah, even though we're traveling, we don't yeah have all these awesome experiences. So every now and then just to, yeah. you know, have something to look forward to outside of the sport is, is always good as well. How is how important have you put on that now to get away from your sport? Is are you someone that just is entirely um, surrounded by badminton all day, all night, or are you someone that likes to play, but then after you get off the court that you want to get away from it, and whether that's study or just doing some stuff that you like? What is it for you now? Um, well, last year was yeah, I hadn't, I'd never travelled that much, and I found it quite hard not not studying. So. Like outside of actually training and competing, you do have a lot of free time and you're just kind of like resting for like your next training and um, match. So I got a bit bored just like lying in bed and I don't know, playing on my phone or watching a movie. So I think going back, I did like during this time, I'm trying to set up some things to, you know, uh, have more stuff to do when I travel, some like kind of mobile things that are yeah easy to stay in touch with people and um, kind of have ongoing goals outside of badminton and to keep me entertained. Yeah, well, yeah, wow. so what, what, what study are you doing? Because you are doing a sports science course, aren't you, at um, VU? Yeah, yeah. So I did two subjects already um, last month and then I have one left and 140 hours placement and then I'm yeah. done. <laughs> Where are you? You're nearly done, yeah. Jeez, it, seven, makes, seven it goes quick, later. doesn't it? <laughs> Jeez, so you've just been deferring it and doing a couple of subjects, just chipping away then? Yeah, yeah. I did the first year full uh, full time and then since then it's either been like one to three subjects throughout and then last year was totally deferred. Yeah. Is there any other hobbies that you try to do when you t- to get away from the sport? And um, Do you do it with your partner or do you, do you sometimes get sick of each other and you're like, actually, I just need a bit of time away from you at the moment? Yeah, we actually do a lot of ways. Sometimes we're like too independent. Like we'll just go off and yeah. do our own things. Like she loves coffee and I'll go yeah. off and I don't know, see something else. And yeah, and then we're like, oh, like let's go eat together because we're just like doing our own things too much. <laughs> but um, I picked up uh, Chinese as well. I do online Chinese classes. Oh, wow. That's been, that's been fun. I did that for the last like four years and I'm like pretty like basic fluent I can have conversations and everything so that's that's cool yeah <laughs> that's that's amazing um what's your what is your training schedule like because I've seen some of your literally I've, I've seen some videos of you training and you're like what sort of training would someone playing badminton do is it just they hit the shuttle cock or whatever but some of it is seriously intense like how many so what what would a, a regular week of training look for you if you weren't playing a tournament um so basically we have we train like six days a week, Monday to Saturday. Um, pretty much have one court session each day, which is like two hours long, and then maybe mm-hmm. one or two sessions, uh, like one or two days that are double sessions. So we'll do morning and afternoon, and then I usually do gym um, like weights two times a week, and then like a cardio once or twice a week. So yeah, wow, well. ten, eleven sessions total or something, but. Then, yeah. then in Asia, they do like extra, like they're crazy. Really? <laughs> yeah, they'll have like court twice a day and then like gym on top of that. And, and like they only get like Sunday afternoon off. 
that kind of thing. What? Jeez, it just shows you how intense their training. Because you you did get um, invited by the Chinese team to go and train with them, didn't you? What was that like? Um, yeah, I just happened to be over there um, filming a a TV. I was I was like a guest speaker on this TV show, and I was talking about my Chinese history. And yeah. um, it was in Beijing, so I just asked them if I could join their training for one week, and that yeah, and they said yes, which um, was pretty surprising at the time. But yeah, it was so cool. Like they have this whole um, massive setup, like so many courts on each side, like they split the singles and the doubles and it's in this whole like kind of like the AAS, I guess, this big village and they have their dorms nearby and a bus like take them to the courts and then they have the gym and everything. But yeah, like I had the training program and it was was full on. It was pretty tiring. Like by the second session, everyone's like pretty dead and just like. So, so what's next then? What's next for you? Is it um, is there any news on on when the Olympics might go ahead, or or when things might start opening back up, or is it just a sort of sit and wait at the moment? Yeah. So the Olympics is next year, the exact same date. It's meant to be happening. Yeah. Um, the latest I heard is that it's like a scaled down event. I don't know what that means exactly. Whether it's just like less spectators, or yeah, or I don't know how they're doing it. Um, but, like, in terms of badminton tournaments, the first one scheduled, I think, is, like, September in Taiwan. But okay. um, our qualification criteria or our new qualification criteria don't count towards the Olympics. But starting from next year, um, they, they do. So um, this year, I guess, is just getting people back into tournaments if possible. But I don't, yeah. I don't think, like, that the international travel will kind of be happening this year or at least maybe not for Australians. Maybe some other countries might be allowed to travel, but... Yeah. I think it's quite messy with a lot of countries doing the whole 14-day quarantine and then, like, if you come back home another 14 days, it's just, I don't know, it's yeah. a bit of a mess. Yeah, it's going to be hard trying to get all these different com- countries to um, to the same place, isn't it? It's going to be quite difficult to do that. But um, thank you for coming on. It's been awesome to uh, to speak to you and, and, and see your journey and, and some of the things that you've gone through so far. And um, we'll be keeping uh, a definite eye on when the Olympics is back and, and watching you and um, your partner try and hopefully uh, win a medal for, for Australia and it would be a great experience for you. Hopefully you actually finally get to uh, your first Olympics and there's not something else ridiculous in the way stopping you getting there. Yeah, finally call myself an Olympian. <laughs> <That's a> dream. <laughs> well, it's been, it's been great chatting to you, Gronia. I appreciate you coming on and um, I'm sure that uh, the listeners will be able to, to take something away from this. But, uh, yeah, thank you for coming on and um, all the best for the future. Awesome. Thank you so much, Guy. Thanks for tuning into that episode. I love being able to speak to different sports people and shine a light on sports that aren't so popular here in Australia. Gronia is a force to be reckoned with and I'm sure she'll kill it next year in Tokyo. If there's any cool athletes or professionals you'd like to hear on the show, you can get in touch with us through the Athletes Diaries website or socials. Hope you're dealing with lockdown okay, Victoria. There is light at the end of the tunnel and we will get back to where we once were. Have a great week.